Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. It's Monday morning. It's the 12th of August. I don't know about you, but it is back to school week where I live. Uh, Maybe you live in a more reasonable part of the country where people don't go back to school until after Labor Day. But I live in an unreasonable part of the country, which thinks summer is over in the first or second week of August. So, huh. Uh, So pay attention today. Lots of big yellow school buses on the road. Lots of kids. Um, walking, riding bikes, standing on street corners where you're not used to seeing them. People with those, you know, I don't know, do do people still have those flags? I was um, on the patrols. This is not going to surprise anybody who knows me that in fifth grade, uh, you know, I had risen to such a significant level of respect and leadership that I was the lieutenant of the patrols. Now, Charlie Craig was the captain, and I was somewhat jealous of that. Uh, but I was the lieutenant of the patrols, and that mean that meant I not only had a flag and got to stand at one of the corners on um, on Watrous in Tampa, where I grew up, uh, for the kids walking to Dale Mabry Elementary School, but I got to uh, get there early and pass out the flags to other members of the patrols, but they had to make sure that they had their little crossing badge thing on that little, it was bright orange and it was reflective. And I'm sure that today no one is letting fifth graders do this, like manage traffic. But anyway, back in the day, uh, that's what we did. And it was actually really fun. And you know, we had a PVC pipe with a bright orange flag on the end of it. And we directed children across the street so they could attend Dale Mabry Elementary School and sit under the magnificent tutelage of people like Miss Mabry. God rest her soul. Man, I am who I am today in no small measure because of Miss Chestnut and Miss Bickle and Miss Mabry. So I am leading off today with uh, back-to-school prayers. If you missed my conversation with Kathy Branzell a couple of weeks ago, that's a great podcast to go back and grab, remind ourselves of how we can be not only praying for our schools as they start the new school school year, but engaging with our schools. Um, And I want us to be praying today also for people who feel like they don't have anyone, Um, because suicide is topping the news again across the country in many ways today. Um, And I want us to be mindful of people who feel so disconnected that they genuinely feel like they don't have anyone. And let me speak into that and just say, you are not alone. Even if you feel alone right now, you are not alone. Um, You are precious You were created on purpose and for a purpose, Um, and God loves you, and the people of God love you. Even if right now it doesn't feel like you are loved, you are loved. Love is not just a feeling. It is a reality, and in reality, in reality, you are loved by God, and you are loved by the people of God. And so um, if you are despairing today, please reach out. Please reach out. Um. And reach up in order that the people of God and God himself might reach into your life by the power of his Holy Spirit and the power of his church, um, that you will know that you are not alone. You do not walk alone. You are not bereft, even if it feels like it. Feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. 
Um, and so let's be people of truth today and let's um, press into the lives of those whom we know have become disconnected or isolated. Let's be people who uh, who make other people's business our business because they are God's business and God cares for them and loves them deeply. I want to lift up uh, Simone Biles and her story before I uh, transition to a conversation with our friend Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post, who is back with us today. Um, but if you haven't heard the headline news today uh, about Simone Biles over the weekend, uh, let's see, I will read it. Uh, I think this one is from uh, the um, Minnesota Public Radio. I read this one because it happens to be one that highlights the other two women who topped the uh, podium. So let me just read the head here. Uh, Biles soars to sixth U.S. gymnastics title. Minnesotans finish second and third. So we don't want to miss out on that uh, part of the story. Simone Biles took a chance. She got a triple double and just about everything else, too, on her way to the sixth U.S. gymnastics title. Um, If you don't know this, she's a vibrant, vibrant Christian. She credits uh, God and her faith in Jesus Christ with her ability to overcome. And I think that you need to know that. Uh, I think that we need to know, you know, that part of uh, her experience is adoption. Part of her experience is that of sexual abuse at the hands of a doctor. Um, and yet there's no way that anybody would call this woman uh, anything but a victor today. She is not a victim. In Christ, uh, she has a victor, an overcomer, and she has become a woman of great beauty and strength and power and inspiration. And so uh, let's be sure that we that we share the good news of Simone Biles' story Um, dedication, championship, the stuff she's doing uh, in the gymnastics world is really, really extraordinary, and she's doing it all for Christ our Savior. Next up, Brandon Showalter. I'm going to lead off with him asking whether or not churches are a positive force in society and how views on that are changing depending on your political view, political persuasion. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Brandon uh, Showalter's back with us. There's probably nobody's walk-up music that I like better than his. So, hey, Brandon, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. I think that walk-up music is pretty great, too. I keep, I'm addicted to that song. He's worthy, man. He's worthy. He is worthy. It's Amen. a great song. It is a great song. Um, Brandon Showalter's with the Christian Post, and he's got a, a really excellent piece posted right now. The, the head is, are churches a positive force in society? Republican, Democrat views widening. Um, tell, us, uh, tell us, Brandon, about the underlying research from Pew related to this. And then, and then let's just you know, kind of wander around in this conversation about whether or not churches are a positive or negative force in society. I just I, I love this conversation topic. Well, it is. It's interesting research. Uh, you know, Pew Research is always doing this, this kind of polling and the analysis and the research is from late July, it was published July 29th, and it has been, it was, it was about sort of Americans' views on a variety of uh, institutions and, you know, social things like big tech, tech companies, churches, obviously, uh, and, and corporations, banks, big business, other kinds of entities. Um, and it was just sort of examining the 
the partisan views on these things. And colleges and universities was another thing that they measured. Uh, and it found that since 2017, uh, the belief that religious groups and churches have, have a positive effect on how things are going in the country has dropped significantly among Democrats, um, especially among Democrats. And uh, Republicans continue to uh, view churches in a general, generally speaking, in a very positive way, though even they've dropped a few points from two years ago, just about six or seven points, I believe. Um, but yeah, it, the, the gap between um, Republicans and Democrats on, you know, churches being a positive force in society has widened considerably in just a few years. Uh, 50%, I believe, in 2017 of Democrats considered churches to be positive. That's dropped to 38% now. And Republicans stand at 68% in terms of viewing churches positively. So we've got a 30% gap there that um, is is significant. That's the first time in, in history where we see such a profound division over that question. So I think that, you know, if you're if you're listening right now to Brandon and I and you're saying to yourself, how could people view the church as anything other than a force for good? Um, I think that part of the challenge is when we uh, when we fail to publicly celebrate all the good that churches are doing, like that's part of it. We have been, right. um, you know, like, right, we keep our we keep our light under a basket because we don't you know, we don't want our right hand to see what our left hand is doing because we you know, we want an eternal reward and. You know, like, I get all of that, but man, if your church is doing some good in your community, you need to have a positive relationship with your local media outlets in order that the good news of what is happening because of the good news in the life of your congregation and through the life of your church, in order for that to get out into your local community, um, you have to have a relationship with members of your local media and you have to share with them the good news stories of what's happening. Uh, in order that the perception gap, because there's a huge gap right now, churches are doing a lot of good in in communities all across America, but that news is not getting out. And so part of that, Brandon, in my view, is we've done a poor job um, locally in many of our communities being friends with members of the local media. I think you're onto something there because uh, most of the news, and it's just because it gets traffic uh, is what sort of something's going wrong or there's an injustice and if something's going wrong in a church it and it's only the negative stories i think that can is very much a contributing factor i think you're onto something there all right so uh, you and i are going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk about how churches are responding to the uh, shooting in el paso uh that's up next here in my conversation with brandon showalter from the christian post So at the risk of uh, blowing up my zip whip line that I am in some way pointing people toward Oprah Winfrey as the um, the the righteous moral uh, person in our generation. She did speak truth in answering a question about um, why, why these deadly shootings like the one in El Paso, Texas um, and Dayton, Ohio, why they happen. Her answer absolutely hit the nail on the head. Here's what she told Extra. She said, um, in response to these horrific massacres, I think people are missing the core moral center. Churches used to do that. She went on to say, church was a central place that you could come to. There was a core center of values uh, about a way of living and a way of being in the world. She went on to say, we're going to continue to be lost until we recover 
our core moral center. Now, I don't know if Oprah Winfrey knew that she was declaring that the church uh, has the truth about um, about right and wrong and good and evil and uh, and justice and all of those things. But that is what she ultimately said. And so what our church is doing, Brandon Showalter from The Christian Post, what our church is doing in response to the shootings in uh, in p- places like El Paso? Well, in some of them, they're giving blood, which I think is really great. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, a very practical need. You know, when you have, I don't think people realize the, when, when you know, when victims of a mass shooting, it's easy to remember, you know, the people who are dying, but oftentimes there's dozens of people who are injured in these things. And in order for them to stay alive, they need blood transfusions. And it's amazing how quickly the supply can, you know, be depleted. And so churches are giving blood down there, prayer and counseling. You know, I think we have become so numb in the United States. These things are happening so often. We forget how these kinds of things can really traumatize a community. And it didn't, it doesn't go away with just a news cycle. When certainly when people lose loved ones or they are, or even if their loved ones are, shot and injured, it really rattles people and they need people to help process their distress and their grief. And, you know, as you were just saying, Oprah, I think did hit the nail on the head. It's the, the church should be the, the, the sort of spiritual hospital and the place where people go and be cared for and be pastored uh, while at the same time providing that kind of clear focus as to what is right and what is wrong. Uh, but El Paso churches do seem to be, uh, uh, to, to be really holding people up as best they can, um, going in, counseling people, being there for um, being there for people in the time of crisis. So you've got another you guys have another piece uh, posted at ChristianPost.com um, about responses to these events. And I really I actually thought this was um, uh, just just a really positive um way of helping people think kind of categorically about these things. Um, And so let me just say to our listeners that you are allowed in the face of these kinds of things, you are allowed to absolutely directly reference the reality of evil and the reality of pure evil and the reality of spiritual warfare. You are are a person um, as a Christian in the world where people have completely lost touch with the uh, the real supernatural, right? We we have all of these sort of foreign approaches, fake approaches to what is uh, supernatural power. Um, we imagine that, uh, you know, the force of Star Wars is the force. And instead of understanding that God is real and personal and has a redemptive plan for human history and that evil is real and sets itself up at enmity with God and is still pervasively working in the world today, um, in people's lives, like spiritual warfare is a real deal. It's it is real. It is happening. And the question is whether or not we are actually engaging uh, with it. Brandon, I remember being asked a question. Um, I mean, I was a fairly young young Christian when I mean, I, rem- I even remember the woman who asked me this question in her kitchen. Her name's Camille, and she said, "Why do you think that the um, uh, that this?" experience that Jesus has in the wilderness with Satan. Like, why do you think that's in the Bible? Like, why do you think that's there? Mm-hmm. And I went through like a whole list of, of like ideas about why. And she said, well, let me tell you why in our generation, I think it's there. She said, I think it's there because people don't actually believe or acknowledge the reality of an enemy, the reality of Satan. And if you deny the reality of the enemy, the reality of Satan, you deny the Christ who confronted him. Right. 
And so, so, yeah. I, so I think that, you know, like when these horrible things happen, it, it, we, we are allowed to use categories like evil, pure evil. We are and allowed we to talk about, yeah, and we're allowed to talk about um, spiritual warfare and we're allowed to invite people to turn to God. So I, I just I appreciate that you guys are illuminating those kinds of things at Christian Post. Well, thank you. And I think it, it is times like these when particularly when we face the grisly reality of you know, young men mowing people down, it has I think it should jolt people out of their stupor about really what the reality of Ephesians 6 and wrestling not against flesh and blood are in this increasingly secularized age. A lot of people don't have any kind of concept of, you know, disembodied spirits and demons and all that kind of thing. And it just seems silly. And yet we need to continue to bear witness to the truth because we know that indeed we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There is good and there is evil and it looks like something. And we know that it has a source in the enemy. And so, yeah, it's time for, it's time for clarity and it's time for boldness. So um, let's touch on one more thing before uh, before we let you go today, and that is this, um, I mean, pedophilia scandal in, uh, in in the BSA. For people who don't know what's going on with the Boy Scouts of America, can you just brief us in on this? Yes. Well, there's a, there's a lawsuit that's going on that um, where they're trying to uh, – it is believed as a group of attorneys, a, a group called Abused in, uh, in Scouting, they represent um, – you know, it's, they've got hundreds of complaints now of saying that they of former scouts who say, I mean, spanning eight decades, where they are uh, they're going after the Boy Scouts for covering up and being complicit in the abuse that that happened, and it was uh, <laughs> it's just harrowing to read all this stuff, and it never seems to end because we just you know not, not only with me too, but Catholic Church and Protestant churches and stuff is being purged and just exposed, but they're pursuing justice for these survivors from incidents through the 40s, 1940s through 2015 because they believe these attorneys believe that the Boy Scouts of America is trying to file for a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and if that's granted, it would remove any liability from their organization going forward. And so um, they're just, it's a matter, it's sort of a legal process that they're now in um, to get justice for the victims. But uh, it's, you know, Boy Scouts have been at the center of some controversy in recent years due to a lot of different reasons, but this is arguably, uh, I think, indisputably the worst. Um, Some of the, the horrific things that were done to these young boys is just, just unspeakably evil. But, um, they're they're going after justice, so we'll see what happens. Brandon, um, thank you so much. I think that I will uh, I will close our conversation today by reminding people of what God says in Ephesians chapter six about what each and every one of us is to do today, right now. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert 
and always keep on praying for all the saints. My brother in Christ, thank you so much for standing firm today and for standing with us. Uh, we, we celebrate what you guys are doing at the Christian Post. You guys can brind- visit Brandon online there at ChristianPost.com. We'll be right back. How are you growing in your faith today? Uh, and are you are you growing by fertilizing your life of faith uh, with the Word of God, by actually soaking in the Spirit, by submitting joyfully in prayer to the Lord our God. I mean, these are the ways that, um, these are the ways that we grow. Um, so Adam Carrington is back next. He and I are going to uh, pivot and have a little, a slightly more what you might think of as a political conversation. Um, but the rubber meets the road in our conversations with other people, you know, where the headlines intersect with, uh, with questions about which we have really, really, really strong opinions. And the Second Amendment um, is a conversation that is, alive in the culture today. So Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College and I, we're going to talk about the Second Amendment and we're going to talk about, you know, priorities and our heart and what's being said at the political level about such things. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So the verse of the day is something that you can uh, sign up to receive every single day by text or email. You can sign up today at the website, MyFaithRadio.com, or you can text the word VERSE to 555-888. We also, you know, give away great stuff. And so if you've never logged on to MyFaithRadio.com and gotten even like a welcome packet, you should do that. You should get a free welcome packet today. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can do that. You can sign up for the verse of the day. You can enter to win uh, the devotional Bible that we're giving away this month. You can um, you can download the podcast. I mean, there's all kinds of great resources there. So let me invite you to come. Let me also invite you in advance to participate in Fall Share. Uh, that is the few days that we dedicate each fall to turning our attention to the financial needs of this ministry. This is a listener-supported radio program and radio station and network. And so Fall Share is coming up. Go ahead and start praying with us for God to uh, not only till the soil in human hearts, but to you know begin to till the soil in your own in your own life, so that you're going to be prepared to give when we ask. And so that's coming up uh, the second week of September. All right, friends, um, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LeBurge. We'll be right back. Every day, I see a fascinating live nature show right in my own backyard. It's a squirrel family chase each other up and down the trees, power lines, and across the yard. You know, it made me wonder, can we learn anything from squirrels? Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. You know, squirrels are often the animals we think about when it comes to saving up for times that are lean. When they're not racing through the trees and putting on a show for me and my kids, I see squirrels collecting nuts to bury in the ground and get ready for winter. Now, I'm not suggesting you become a squirrel, but it is important to make sure you have some money saved up in an emergency savings fund. And that doesn't mean you have to hoard all of your money. It just means you have enough set aside so you can cover expenses for several months if something unexpected happens. And when you're being a good steward and preparing for the unexpected, it reduces stress, which ultimately leads to wiser financial decisions without driving you nuts.
Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College visits us from time to time. He uh, he helps us understand what's happening at what I will describe as the intersection of the Christian faith and American politics. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me again. So you and I are going to address a simple topic today, something that is not controversial at all, and that is uh, how people understand the Second Amendment. <laughs> Yes, I don't know about you, but I mean, as soon as it's out of my mouth, like I, I could like feel the heat rising in a conversation. I, I teach this every semester in my U.S. Constitution class, and it is I always I always uh, gird my loins before I walk in. So, oh, well, it's, okay, it's, now it's, let's start yeah. there. Let's actually just start there. Tell us about that. You're teaching, you know, you're teaching a course on the U.S. Constitution. You've covered, I assume, the First Amendment, and you arrive at the Second Amendment. Maybe maybe tell us this. Maybe brief us in. What is that? What is the content of that class? Like, what are you telling them about the Second Amendment in that course? Right, and and I because it's on the whole Constitution, we only spend about a day on it. I I do two things. We we look at the text itself and say, what can we get from just reading these words, and then we look at a couple short readings, including uh, D.C. versus Heller, which was the 2008 case that where the court first directly addressed the Second Amendment, uh, whether it was a individual right or, or, or a federalism right. And I, I like that case because both sides lay out their arguments and do so in a way that they're talking to each other. And then really what I do is I say, okay, who, who do you think has the better argument and try to refine their viewpoints as the different sides come out and say what they think the policy was and should be. Uh, so th- th- that's the way I approach it, which, of course, leaves plenty of room for people to argue, but also hopefully to have their voices heard as we try to get through something that uh, uh, unfortunately is getting personal for many, many people with the recent news that's been coming out. So we see um, we see a lot of conversation about the meaning of the words in the Second Amendment. I think that um, when this comes down to a conversation about maybe the word militia or it comes down to a conversation um, about whether or not the amendment protects some sort of state power or an individual right. Can you walk around with us in some of those conversations? Right. So the the text says uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And what you see is, um, for for one side, they focus on a well-regulated militia and the security of a free state. And they say, aha, what this is is the right of a state to maintain uh, a military force. And that that is because there was worry that the federal government may get too powerful and too big and that the states need to protect themselves. The other side looks to the fact that it says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, that uh, this is not necessary, that that doesn't focus on the states, but on individuals having uh, the right to keep and bear military or, or not military, but 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 uh, weapons of some kind. And uh, really, it comes down to how do you reconcile those two sides of the language in a way that's fair to the text and fair to the history. And one side leans toward the idea that, well, people have a right to bear arms if they're in the militia. The other side says, well, people have a right to bear arms and they might participate in a militia uh, at the state level, but that that doesn't negate their own right to have arms themselves. So that's, I think, the, the underlying debate that is set up between the two sides. 
you and I probably uh, know some similar folks who, um, you know, I might characterize as um, politically conservative, socially conservative, um, who also are Christians. And and I don't necessarily think that those uh, are ne- are necessary predictors of one another. But I, and I think there's confusion sometimes among um, or or between those descriptions of individuals. But when I think of myself as a Christian and um, and I think of that being the dominant identity that I hold and how that influences everything else, I'm wondering, um, Adam, how how a person's faith in Jesus Christ and our understanding of our identity as a Christian, how does that, if it does, how does that change our understanding of and our interaction with this conversation about bearing arms? Yeah, that's a very good question because I, I think there still could be a little bit of an argument on on, on both sides because ultimately I think the, the, the right defense for owning a firearm would be the right to self-defense, the right that human beings should be able to protect themselves and therefore protect the image of God in them from harm that others would visit on them. At the same time, to use arms is to is to often uh, attack the image of God in someone else. So I think that uh, what what that would demand of a Christian is to say whatever role you think is prudent or wise as far as the use of firearms, you need to ask what is furthering uh, the protection of the image of God and yourself and your neighbor. In other words, actually saying uh, uh, the second table of the law to love your neighbor as yourself. What what does that demand based on, on uh, the fact that firearms exist and how we should use or not use them in the public sphere? But I think that does leave some space for, for, for Christians to, to discuss um, wisdom. You know, what does policy say is the best approach while still recognizing that the underlying issue of protecting the image of God and others and ourselves must be the underlying concern, not a number of other things that sometimes people bring into the debate. So I think that when we talk about what gets brought into the debate, um, I would love to have a conversation with you after the break about, um, first of all, we've got some input from the vice president on this particular topic that you and I are talking about right now on the Second Amendment. But we're also hearing an increasing line of um, what I will describe as expressly Christian, biblical specifically, references from uh, candidates for the presidency uh, like Cory Booker. And I would I just love to talk with you about what you're hearing Um, on that side of the aisle from candidates and maybe how Christians are processing those things. So I'm talking to Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We're going to continue our conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Adam, we've gotten some, um, some advice from the vice president, Vice President Pence, uh, on this topic of the Second Amendment, um, what what did you what what have you learned about you know sort of where the vice president is on uh, and where we should be as a people uh, on this topic? Well, I think that uh, what I've seen from the vice president is he does believe in the politically conservative view that this is an individual right to own a gun. 
um, uh, at the same time that uh, I, I think one thing that he's been saying recently that might not be directly related to it, but that might be a good idea given the tragedies is he said that maybe some people in reacting to this and in trying to deal with the issue of gun violence, maybe we should be spending less time uh, online and more time on our knees. Now, he, now that was not directly related to guns, but I think it might be a good cross that even as he is himself staking out a position that this is an individual right to self-defense, that how we use it and what we need as a people to responsibly exercise it might be a little bit more time um, uh you know, recognizing that we're not God. I mean, one thing I think you might see in the willingness to take another's life unjustly is a kind of atheism, uh, maybe not explicitly, but a kind of belief that we are God, that we could decide to destroy that which God has created, that it's almost uh, a reversal, or it's almost going back to the Garden of Eden that we would act like that. And I think the demand that we uh, spend more time um, asking God for guidance might be a a a way to even block or or, or limit that uh, sin in our that we're seeing in our society. Yeah, Adam, I I, I do recognize that um, you know you're you're right in observing that the vice president was not expressly talking about the events in in El Paso or Dayton, but they seemed his comments seemed so applicable because it right. it. Um, we ought to, all of us ought to be spending more time, you know, on our faces before the Lord, certainly before we start mouthing off on social media. And I think that's, you know, it felt like that was what the vice president was talking about, even uh, even though the specific concern um, in front of him in the moment that he was saying it was not, um, you know, was not these horrific events. I, I do. Uh, I did have a conversation last week about the faith of the vice president. There's a there's a new book out uh, on you know the faith of the vice president, and um, I do I do wonder how many of us. Um, this isn't really. This is more of a rhetorical question. Um, I do wonder how many of us actively pray as much for our um, people in political leadership as we talk about them. <laughs> And we are called to do so by by the Apostle Paul. He explicitly tells us in First Timothy that we're to pray for those in authority, and and goes on to mention all levels of authority. And I think that, uh, and sometimes it's hard. One, it's hard to do so sometimes, and two, sometimes it's a little hard to do so in good faith. Uh, mm-hmm. That we should be praying for any leader, regardless of whether their views line up with ours or not, and that we should be praying that, you know, and when we do believe that maybe a leader is doing a gross injustice, uh, we should be praying that, you know, God lead them toward justice, but we should be doing so in a spirit that genuinely wants uh, God to work through our leaders for the common good. Um, and I think that that, too, uh, uh, can really be something that humbles and reorients us, as you said, to make our primary citizenship to be that in heaven, and that that will actually serve to make us better citizens of our community here in America and here on Earth. So when we talk about uh, leadership and we talk about certainly uh, the future leaders here in the United States of America, those who are vying now to be elected president in 2020, in addition to uh, you know, sort of the obvious uh, 
person who's going to run uh, on the Republican side. It's not so obvious who is going to be the candidate on the Democrat side. And we have a number of candidates on that side of the aisle who are making appeals to the Bible. They're making appeals to religious faith. Um, there are a number of people very excited about Pete Buttigieg and his appeals um, to you know his version of Christian experience as an Episcopalian. Marianne Williamson has people excited in terms of her spiritual leadership. Um, Cory Booker is probably, um, in my mind, the the person who is uh, most clear in the way that he talks about the things of the faith and in his use of scripture to support um, what he's talking about. So tell us a little bit about what we have learned recently about Cory Booker and his appeals to the Bible. Right. There, there's there been some talk about uh, really a lot of it comes down to a talk he gave at the um, African-American church that many remember had the horrific shooting by a white nationalist several years ago in Charleston, South Carolina. And he uh, articulated there his his upbringing in the African-American church and how um, his what how it informs his faith and that he was talking about how what you sow you will reap which is of course uh, uh noted in the gospels he was talking about the um necessity of uh, uh of when people are gathered together to seek the common good for god uh and and was integrating scripture into his argument um uh, for his his own policies and saying that that has been essential to what he what he says, which is as you said, uh, interesting because there's been there is a perception that the Democratic Party is getting increasingly antagonistic to people of religious faith, and I think that uh, uh, this is an attempt, and I think what Booker sees, I, you know, I don't doubt his genuineness, uh, regardless of whether I, I agree with his reading in cer- on certain things. Um, but uh, uh, the question is, is there going to be a place in the Democratic Party for people of faith? And what would that look like? And I think he and Buttigieg are two of the prime candidates that are trying to articulate what a sort of more um, l- politically left-leaning Christianity would look like uh, in, in the in, at the presidential level for a presidential campaign. So this is a, a completely uh, off-the-cuff, unprepared question. What, what are you reading today? Like, in addition to the newspaper and the Bible, which I'm going to assume that, you know, as a student of both, you're reading. But what, what is Adam Carrington? What is on your reading list this, uh, this day? Um. Actually, uh, I'll, I'll say two things, one personally and one for, for, for work. I, I, I'm working on things related to the Supreme Court, so I, I'm always reading and researching that. For But for my personal devotion, and this is nothing to do with <laughs> what we've been talking about, uh, I, I've been reading a lot of the uh, reformers, uh, Calvin, Butcher, uh, some, some of the others, on their doctrine of the Lord's Supper uh, and, and seeing it as— uh, a means of grace given by God to his people. And and one thing that I guess might be related to this is I was reading that Calvin talked about how the Lord's Supper is a means of unity and love and charity uh, among people. And that just as he, he compares the idea that when bread is baked, it takes a bunch of grains and makes them a whole— that so uh, participating in this as a people is actually a means of reconciliation among people who have wronged each other or who have felt wronged, uh, and and actually in some ways you could say therefore a way to stop violence between people. So that that's something that I'm personally 
reading beyond my research and, and personal devotions. So you'd have no way of knowing this, but one of my um, one of my interests is like bread. Like I feel like bread is is has the potential to speak to us in ways that we have not been paying attention and listening. And I just read last week that um, somebody has has actually figured out how to draw out the yeast that was would have been used like by the um, but they weren't even Israelites yet, like by the Hebrews in in Egypt, they have they have like drawn it out and they've made bread out of it. Like currently, like today. So I don't know. I, there's something there. I don't know what it is, but you and I can uh, break bread together sometime and talk about how Christ is made known to others when the people of Christ break bread together uh, in ways that are authentic to who He is. Uh, there is something there. Absolutely. That would be wonderful. Yes, I, I appreciate uh, even getting to talk about that a bit. Yeah, and in the meantime, you know, uh, keep reading on the Supreme Court because most of us are not going to. <laughs> yes, yes. Someone, <laughs> it's a dirty job, but someone's someone has do to it. do it. Thank you so much, Adam Carrington. Uh, blessings on the start of the school year at Hillsdale College. We're praying for you and others like you who are going to be uh, molding and 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 enriching young lives uh, for the next generation. So, Adam Carrington. Uh, thank you so much for being with us again today on Morning with Carmen. Always a privilege. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back. So it's always uh, it's always a feast. Okay, so I've already got a message from somebody. Hey, what is that that you're talking about? If you actually just put the word yeast into into your Google bar and hit the word news, there's only one news item out there about yeast right now, and it's this one. Um, you can read it in the New York Times, and if you don't have the New York Times, you can actually read it at something called Interesting Engineering. Scientists make fresh bread out of 4,500-year-old 4, Egyptian yeast. All right. I don't know. That's pretty fascinating to me. All right. Uh, we're going to make Christ known uh, here in the next hour of Mornings with Carmen. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.